0: Today is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 44, which can be found on page 10 and 78. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Mary said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they died. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along to her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept his man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with cloths and strips of linen, and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: and your response to it as well does and it's so important for us to remember that the world out there is much more complicated and complex than the world here. Having said that uh, at school uh, which is a very far from this place, we do have families from around the world who have left places like Syria and Iraq and really difficult Conditions and circumstances, and found themselves here, and you know, we try to subvert them. And uh, from time to time, those families um, naturally and understandably enough want to go back and, and see their family that are still in Syria and Iraq and Kurdistan and those areas around them. And just recently, um, I, I sat in some horror, really, listening to lobby Lady explaining to me that, you know, she had this plan to do this, um, and I said, you know, well, what about ISIS? And she said, well, they're about 50 miles away from where I'm going, so, so I like, could be fine. <laughs> so later, I was thinking about this, and thinking, where is 50 miles from here? You know, would Oxford, if, if something really bad was happening in Oxford, would we feel safe here? And uh, it's interesting, this whole business about borders and boundaries, where we are safe and where we're not safe. And if something bad was happening in Saltford, would we feel safe? And I was trying to imagine, you know, what, where would it be? And anyway, I, I have no an choice and, and we'll pray, continue to pray for those families that, that face potential danger. And actually, I also noticed, thinking of this passage, that right now in this, in this passage, Jesus and his disciples have left Jerusalem because they were trying to stone him, they were trying to kill him. Because it was starting to come out, all the miracles that he'd done. He was starting to intimate that he was God's son. And the Pharisees didn't like that. People didn't like it. They felt under threat. And so they were, they went and they found stones to throw at him. And um, it's really a really sad thing, but stoning still happens in the world today. It's not as though we're looking at a passage here that's really historic from 2,000 years ago and it has no relevance to us. This still happens only in half a dozen countries, and there are charities, I don't know about it, like TF1, but Amnesty International certainly have got a campaign to try and stop it. And only um, on Boxing Day, just a few months ago, a woman was stoned to death in Kirkuk, which is about 50 miles away from where this family is going. Stoned to death. So, it's shocking, isn't it? It's still happening today, but Jesus, and it's a horrible way to be killed, and Jesus and his disciples have escaped from Jerusalem from that um, risk, and gone, understandably, left Jerusalem, left Bethany, left... Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who, who, by my tells, clearly Jesus loved them. They were like his heirloom, his family that they could go and stay with when they were in the area. You know, just outside of Jerusalem. It'd be like, it would be like you come into Bath to do all this stuff, you know, but then you retire to the sort of more genteel area Down, or I don't know what it would be, about two miles, just under two miles away, up the hill. Um, to be with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, we know that's what happened. We know Bible tells us he loved them. We know lots of stories around that family, don't we? But it was not even safe to be there, so he'd gone even further—a whole day's walk, whole day's walk—to um, the other side of the Jordan, where John used to baptise with his disciples and the other people who used to accompany him—to be in order to be safe. So that's, that's where we start when we, we, we go into the story. Um, it's interesting, I think, that he gets word, just in the few verses before um, the ones that we're looking at, he gets word that Lazarus is sick, but he decides not to do anything. He, he knows he's sick, but he decides not to do anything and he stays where he is for a little bit longer. And uh, then he decides that they, they will set out. The disciples initially think, oh, he, he's asleep, Lazarus is asleep. But if he's asleep, then it's a the sort of illness where he'll get better, so there's nothing to worry about. And Jesus then goes on to say, no, actually, he's dead. That's in verse 14. He tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, the doubting disciple, who's also something of a revolutionary, says, let us also go that we may die with him. So there's that sense of a mixed band, you know, a mixed band of disciples deciding to go with Jesus. I think they still possibly think Lazarus is ill because they have seen Jesus um, heal people, give sight to the blind, they've seen all of these things. So really what they think, they've heard the message that Lazarus is ill, that's the message that's come, not that he's dead. And so they set off on this day's journey. Um, and they are leaving some time after, after waiting, they they arrive four days after Lazarus has died. Now let's go to Bethany, okay? Because in Bethany we have the wonderful Mary and Martha, two very, very different people, as you know. So you have Martha, who is the queen of organisation, I suspect, who can you know suddenly cater for lots and lots of people, sort everything out, make sure people are happy, she's really strong on hospitality. And she obviously really enjoys and feels a ministry to people coming from Jerusalem to stay with her. And Mary, who perhaps doesn't totally get Martha's um, <coughs> view of organising hospitality, but loves Jesus and is really interested in his teaching. These two women have been affirmed by Jesus in a massive way, in that he is their teacher which would have been unheard of in those days for a woman to be able to be part of that sort of discipleship group and to call a man their teacher he affirmed them to the extent that mary kneels in front of jesus in the sort of way that a disciple would listen to a teacher so this is actually it's good to be women's week or women's day or whatever isn't it it's very affirming of women so there's Mary and Martha, and their brother, who they is younger than them, they look after, um, becomes ill. Now we don't know we don't know about their parents, we assume that Mary and Martha perhaps care for the brother. And we might think as well what their hopes are for this young man who Jesus we know that Jesus loves. What are their hopes for him? What are their hopes for his future? And all of us. Um, have, have friends, have family know young people and wonder, what will I wonder it a lot actually, 220 times a day I wonder it, what will happen to these creatures in my care? what will become of them
0: and we have high hopes
1: don't we of what our children will become and what our relative, our young relatives will become and they must have had the same people as possibly too If he was the male in their family, they would have hopes that he would represent some kind of security for their future. I've said that Bethany is a small, a very small settlement outside of Jerusalem uh, facing down towards Jerusalem the other way across the plain and you can see the Jordan a long, long way away and uh, surrounded by kind of agricultural landscape, maybe cornfields and um, their brother becomes ill. Now, let's think about that, how you don't just suddenly become ill like that. It's unusual, isn't it? So it starts off with a bit of fever, a bit of a cold maybe, a bit of the flu, and you think, I oh, it's something to worry about. And in any case, you wouldn't want to call Jesus back from the place that he's gone to be safe because he's afraid of being killed. He'd be in much more danger in Bethany. So they also went. But he becomes more ill, and more sick, and has a high fever, sweats and buckets, and they're starting to wait with him. And at a certain point, when he really is probably quite ill, I imagine, top of their list is to get Jesus, because they know, they believe utterly, that he will be able to lay hands on Lazarus, and he will recover from this illness. And so a point comes, when he must be actually very, very sick and really suffering, that they sent off the messenger. And the messenger would have come back and said, we've delivered the message. And so now we're in a situation where Lazarus is probably really, really ill. And they keep keeping watch with him over the night, through the night. And then hopping is back. Brown and listening to his breathing, which will be beca- becoming erratic, and at the same time, listening for stones moving outside and maybe a knock on the door that Jesus has arrived. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. In fact, they stop hearing Lazarus breathe. They hear him breathe his last, think. They really do. So they had such high hopes, such high expectations, both of them, that Jesus would come and sort out the situation. And he doesn't come. Now, in this culture, I have to say, very much unlike ours today, where we can keep people on holiday in a nice sort of cold place. In this culture, where it's really hot, um, that then you would bury your dead on the same day, and it it is warm. So now, Jesus still hasn't come. The people who used to help with with burials and funerals of life, official mourners, would have come from Jerusalem. The news was now out, Lazarus has died. And together, they would have prepared his body, wrapped him in linen cloths, Put a a sheet over his face and tied his chin up, like this, so that his mouth would stay shut, and put him into this grave, a cave with a stone on the top of it, and that's where he is. And still, Jesus doesn't come. (coughs) Now, for Martha and Mary, this must have been utterly devastating. Utterly devastating. They know the message has gone to him. They, they know he's heard it. And this young man that they love so much has not come to them and still he doesn't turn up. Still he doesn't turn up. And some of you will know just how hard grief can be. How you you can't sleep, you you, you can't do anything. you're you're weeping, you're confused, you're devastated. And somebody that you have put a lot of hope in is not there and you feel utterly desolate, lost. You and your sister just not knowing what to do. I can imagine Martha and Mary maybe looking out the window across those cornfields and suddenly somebody says, Jesus is coming. He's on his way with that sort of rubble of disciples and hangers on us. And interestingly, Mary stays where she is, perhaps so upset, maybe furious even, she doesn't move, she stays in the house. Martha on the other hand gets up and starts to walk off across those fields towards Jesus in the light of the day, in the heat of the sun, round the edge of the cornfields. And she can see him walking towards her and he can see her and it maybe takes 10 minutes of them approaching each other, coming closer and closer together until there's eye contact at which point they must stop the disciples now about to find out that actually Lazarus is dead because they may think it's going to be fine, we can do other miracles it's not going to be a problem and Martha and Jesus come face to face and she looks at him in the eyes and says in a controlled way, I suspect. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What can she say? That's what she feels. She probably feels lots of other things as well. And she probably wants to maintain her relationship with Jesus and keep that strong. And so she goes on and says, by way of a kind of Olive branch, I suppose, after saying what she said. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus just looks at her and he says, Your brother will rise again. And you can imagine Martha thinking, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's kind of the, it is one of the worst things to say to somebody actually. When somebody you really, really love Stylus and says you'll see them again in heaven, it's far too trite. It's not what they want. They are missing and grieving somebody they loved who's gone. And she's probably thinking that I know you will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But frankly, it's not the same. What is that to her? What does that mean? And Jesus says to her, and this is the heart of the passage, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What an amazing thing to say. And how odd the Martha, how could she receive that? This is right at the centre, the, the centre of, of this miracle, really. It's before lessons even being raised again. These famous, famous words, which we say at funerals we hear all the time on the television, when there's ever a thing about a funeral, I am the resurrection of the life, the one who believes in me will live. Martha, do you believe this? And she says. Yes, Lord. She must have surprised herself, I think, that her emotions turned around so quickly. And she then says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. It's an amazing declaration statement. From her point of view, she's the first person to say this. Peter I it, you're be aware, but Jesus told him to be quiet and not, to, and the disciples not to mention it. So Martha doesn't know that. She says, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then perhaps embarrassed, perhaps surprised at what she has said, she turns and goes back to the house to get her sister, who she, who she reminds, who already knew would, that Jesus was there. She says, The teacher That very special person who will be our teacher is here and is asking for you. Now Mary moves. She gets up really, really quickly. She runs out of the house. People see her going and go with her, believing that she's on her way to the tomb. And they want to go with her to help her to mourn, which is the custom in in these times. But she doesn't head for the place where the tomb is. Instead, she also heads across across towards the fields. And she arrives there with Martha and with this little group of people from Bethany, Jerusalem, there to comfort her. And they arrive and there's Jesus. And Mary just throws herself down at Jesus' feet says exactly the same thing that Martha says, but says in a very different way. Where Martha looked and gazed and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary cries out, weeping in anguish, and, and says on the floor, crying in such a state, God, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this weeping is a loud howling, that's what we understand from these words. And the Jews who were helping her to mourn were also weeping loudly, and we are told that Jesus now is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He responds so differently to Mary, I think this is very important for us to understand, that Martha, who's kind of more cool and and trying to speak from her heart in a measured way, receives a measured, heartfelt response. Mary, who is just, you now out there, this is how it is, he is also deeply moved in spirit and says, where well, have you been?" And they say, come and see. And then this tiny, tiny verse in Scripture, verse 35: Jesus wept. These are, these are not wailing really wept, this is tears. He's moved to tears. He's such such an empathetic person. And the Jews look and see these tears and say, see how he loved him, how he loved Lazarus. But I think Jesus is weeping here. And Marianne said in the prayers, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he's weeping here for the death that there is in the world, for this cycle that goes on, that seems endless, that tears at people's hearts and causes such grief. But some of them are saying, "Could not he open the eyes of the blind man who kept this man from dying?" But they're not so sure, you know, who is he? But Jesus goes to the tomb and he stands there and says, "Take away the stone." And Martha, ever the practical one, thinks he probably doesn't realise that he's been there for four days, and I probably should mention this. And she mentions it by saying, it's going to smell pretty bad because it's four days of rotten flesh. This is the one who's just said that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see how confused our emotions are and where our thinking goes? And this is when Jesus is right there in space and time. It's really difficult. And he says, let me not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. I imagine Marcus says, "Okay, take the stone out of the way and they do that and Jesus looks up and prays and says, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And then in this really loud voice he shouts out, Lazarus, come out! And everyone's just Watching and wondering, there is no smell. And then, nobody does anything. You would think, you know, I'm paralyzed in shock, surprise, amazement. What is happening? Nobody moves because the obvious thing to do would be to go in and help this poor chap who's all wrapped up and stuff over his face and his jaw bandaged up with a knot on the top, staggering out. And he comes out as Lazarus, like sort of all sort of bandages falling off, strips of linen and the cloth and still nobody moves because it's left then to Jesus to say, come on then take off the grave clothes let him go this amazing amazing miracle in John's Gospel now I think Mary and Martha and Lazarus who knew Jesus so well knew that this meant so much more than perhaps just this this fact that Jesus raised somebody from the dead. It also pointed ahead just a few weeks until Jesus himself would die and then would also be raised to life again. There's so many different people in here. Even Thomas, Thomas, he says, I don't... Even Thomas, he says, you know... I I can't believe unless I can see the the scars on his hands and his side. Thomas sees this. Thomas is here. But then he still can't believe it later. And all of us, I suspect, we have these things going on in our lives where we really want to believe but we can't, where we feel huge anguish about somebody or something, where we can't let something go. Where we have a high level of anxiety about a young person and what's going to happen to them, or about a young person and what has happened to them. And can everything be made right again? Can Jesus bring this all together? And can He help us when we come to die, or when our nearest and dearest comes to die, and we hear these words I am the resurrection and the life? The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Amen.
2: I'm assuming the question wasn't rhetorical, so yes. This is one of the most extraordinary accounts and encounters with Jesus, and there's an incredible need. And, and what i you to do is, a number of ways you can respond, just a little bit quiet, musicians may play. But I've got the cross here at the front on the floor. And when Jesus says those words, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not just pointing to something ahead. He's pointing to the now. And so I'm going to suggest to you prayerfully to think, where is it in your life? Your life today, now. Where there's death, there's decay, there's disappointment, there's doubt, there's brokenness. That actually, the light of Jesus being the one who brings life and resurrection, your prayer is that God will bring life and resurrection to that part of your life or someone else's life. And to make that your prayer sign. But as you think about that, that you're bringing that to God to the foot of the cross and saying, Would you trade my death or the death for your resurrection? Would you bring your life? this situation and so I would like you to just take a moment to quiet to think about that turn to pray but also we also ask you maybe as an act of a prayer is to maybe to write something maybe